Good evening. Bible reading this evening is uh, taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Mark 6, 45 to 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. Thank you to the music team for leading us uh, in a time of Praising God uh, and singing songs about, especially that last song uh, that is so relevant to our passage this evening, uh, that speaks of who Jesus is. Uh, And hopefully, as we get into it, I believe God wants to reconstruct the way we think about who Jesus is, uh, so as to apply uh, his word into our lives as we walk this path of discipleship. Um, Tonight we are going back into Mark's Gospel. We're dealing with uh, chapter 6 and that that passage that um, Craig read for us, uh, Jesus walking um, on water. Uh, Now just to reiterate, Black was meant to be taking us through this series. He is actually not with us. He's in Bloemfontein. Uh, and he's preaching the gospel there. So you have me. I love talking about belonging in Ephesians. We're going to come back to that after Easter. But tonight we are in Mark's gospel. And Mark is primarily, as Black explained to us, is about discipleship. What does discipleship mean? It simply means to follow Jesus. It simply means that God is reconstructing us and reshaping us uh, to unlearn certain things, uh, to learn new things, and to relearn some things as we continue in our path of being Jesus' followers. It means, as the name suggests, that just like the city of Midrand, the Christian life is always under construction. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought that Midrand, there's always some place where a construction is happening? Have you ever seen that? And construction, like Black said, is a messy process. Uh, construction, you kind of have the plan in mind and the blueprint, but on the ground it looks messy. There's cement, there's wheelbarrows, uh, there's tired uh, construction workers after a uh, lunch uh, of pub and heavy pub. It is a messy situation, and so it is with the Christian faith. Uh, There is always a space that God wants to reconstruct in your life. There is always a space where it is there's nothing. God wants to build something there where there's overgrown grass. I don't know what area that is in your life, where there's just grass everywhere, there's no order. God wants to bring order into that space. Uh, Not only that, but there's always uh, places that need to be demolished, right? Uh, So very often, if you walk around Midrand, you'll see dilapidated buildings. 
um, those need to be knocked off and then something to be built uh, in the place of that. And so it is with the Christian faith uh, that as we live the Christian faith, we need to remember that our lives are under construction and construction is messy, construction is painful, but God is the one who is reconstructing us. Amen. Uh, And so we are hoping as we get into our Bible passage this evening, one of the things that we want to figure out is what is God trying to teach us in this particular verse, in this particular passage about himself? How is that thing that is teaching us meant to reshape our Christian life uh, and reconstruct us as we live and continue in the Christian walk? So with that said, uh, let me pray for us. Uh, We are going to be walking through our passage and figuring out what God wants to challenge in us. Uh, Please bow your heads as I lead us in prayer. Uh, Father, we are so thankful to you. We're thankful for uh, a time like this where we get to carve out uh, some moments as we get into your word. And so, Lord, I do pray uh, that you would make yourself clear through the scriptures, uh, that we will see and taste something of who you are uh, in this evening's uh, passage, that we would see Jesus, and in seeing him, we would want to be more and more like him. Uh, Through Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. Amen. Uh, Now, the key verse uh, to us of understanding this passage is uh, the end of verse 51, chapter, sorry, chapter 4, verse 51 and 52. Uh, please, by the way, have your Bibles open to uh, Mark uh, chapter 6 there. Uh, so the end of verse, chapter 6, verse 51. And they were utterly astounded, verse 52, for they did not understand about their laws, but their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. So if you remember, we're moving from a boat to, uh, to talking about, from rather bread, the inc- incidents uh, that uh, Black took us through where Jesus turned uh, and uh, multiplied the bread. So we're moving from that scene. Uh, we're moving, have a look at verse 45. Mark uses this, um, this phrase quite often throughout Mark's gospel immediately because he's telling us the story of Jesus in a hurry. Uh, he's telling people who are struggling and he wants them to grasp uh, the gospel message. Immediately after Jesus fed the 5,000, we get into the boat, boat story. But Mark says this about the disciples and Jesus wants us uh, to know this evening uh, that they are, as he reveals himself continually, they are utterly astounded when they see him performing uh, the miracle tonight. Why are they astounded? Uh, have a look at verse 52. For they did not understand about their loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Throughout Mark's gospel, we see two things. One is that Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples. Uh, then secondly, we see how the disciples react towards that. Okay? Very often they have a struggling faith. They don't fully understand who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Very often that's the picture of a life under construction, isn't it? That we fail to understand and see who Jesus is. 
isn't it? If you look at your own faith, your own life, if you, uh, like me, when I, I became a Christian in, in high school, as I see the faith of other people, as I see my life when I came to this great city, Joburg, uh, that very often we know who Jesus is. We spend time with him, uh, but when pressure comes, it is difficult to actually live out uh, that faith. It is difficult to believe him and to the gap between what we know and how we live out our lives is very often difficult. And that's the thing we see with this, uh, these disciples, that their hearts are hardened. Uh, and as we continue in this passage, one of the things that we're going to see is that Jesus came for people like them, and so he came for people like you and me. Uh, very often in the Christian faith, you would walk with people who go into Bible study. They're very committed Christian. Then along the way, when pressure mounts, uh, they tend to forget the Jesus that they've been uh, meeting with. Uh, just like these disciples, if you flip over, uh, you see that throughout uh, Mark's gospel, he's been, Jesus has been revealing his glory. He's been revealing his glory over sicknesses, over death, over unclean spirits. Uh, he's cleansed a leper. There was an incurable disease at that stage. They saw somebody in chapter 2 rising up from their mat and coming and walking. By the way, I still remember this incident in church where the pastor prayed for this man who was in a wheelchair. He was proper in a wheelchair. It wasn't this fake miracles. And he said, I believe that today you walk. Um, he never walked. Um, Jesus, unlike our pastor, my fake pastor, um, actually made a man walk. Can you believe being there, seeing a guy fall off from the roof? He wasn't walking. You knew Ma Mavusana. His name is Mavusana. Uh, Mavusana sat out there begging. Now Mavusana came and he started walking. This guy saw it. And yet, what does chapter 5, uh, rather chapter 6, verse 40, 52 say? Um, they didn't understand, but their hearts were hardened. They saw who Jesus is, yet their hearts are hardened. Very often, that's the Christian life. We see Jesus and who he is, but when it comes to real life, you know real life, uh, when sin is mounting at your door, uh, when you are faced with that difficult decision, uh, perhaps you are a follower of Jesus, you've been to Bible study, met with Jesus, you often hear this, uh, a guy comes to you and say, sure, I met this girl. Um, have you ever been there? I met this girl, very lovely, uh, very lovely girl, but she's not a Christian. <laughs> and that's where the problem begins, isn't it? Um, that very often we know who Jesus is, but when it comes to that moment where you are drawn in into loving somebody, they say there are three people who are hard to convince. Those who want to tell you that... Uh, you must join their forex trading. Um, those who follow a certain prophet that I shall not mention by name, uh, his name is Papa. Uh, the followers of Papa, you, it is hard to convince them. And somebody who is in love. Yeah, when you're in love, all the things that you knew about Jesus, all the times that you've experienced him in your life, go off the window. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, uh, you've never been there. You guys are Christian and solid uh, people. Um, perhaps, perhaps it is a time where you wanted that license so bad and they told you that there's no way you're going to get it uh, because in the state of South Africa, the only way to get a license is through, how much is it now? 
You all know. How do you guys know this? Uh, you pay. Back in my day, it was 2,000 rand. The driving schools, they protested uh, because the price of bribery increased. Um, but that's the reality that we live in. And when you're faced with that, your job needs a license. You are a follower of Jesus. You've met with him. You know who he is. But it is difficult to make that decision uh, at that moment. Very often we are like the uh, disciples. Our hearts and what we believe about Jesus uh, doesn't seem to match up with what we have experienced, the Jesus we have experienced. Uh, for many, this is the reality who grew up with, uh, in a home where ancestral worship is the, the thing uh, that very often life doesn't t- uh, tend to go our way. And then you know the power of Jesus. You met with Jesus. Yet this very moment brings your faith into question. Your fear looms, and then you make a decision that does not follow the path of that of a follower. So this disciple spent time with Jesus, saw him do all these things, yet in verse 42, 52, they seem not to get it. Uh, They just don't get it. And very often, that's what it means to be under construction, that sometimes we just don't get it. Sometimes we just don't get it. And so we're going to see and look at our passage in the three different questions. What, why, and how. Okay, so what, what, why, and how. So number one, the what. What are these disciples meant to get? Why is it hard for them not to get it? Why, why is it hard for them to get it? Uh, and then, lastly, how, how do they get it? How do they get it? Okay, so firstly, we're looking at Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 45. Um, it is the story of Jesus walking on water. What are they meant to get from this? What are the readers of Mark meant to get from this? As I said, the story of Mark's gospel is a path of discipleship. And it's divided into two different parts. If you remember, last year we said chapter 1 up until chapter 8, speak of the glory of Jesus. Uh, So one of the things that you're meant to see as you read chapter 1 to 8 is that this man is supreme. Uh, This man is bigger than anything that you've seen. It's the authority of Jesus himself. Uh, In chapter 8, verse 22, if you do have it, uh, you can quickly turn there. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 22 to chapter 8, verse 30 are the turning point in Mark's gospel. So this is what they were meant to get, and this is how our miracle fits into the narrative of Mark's gospel. So if you just take the Jesus walking on water, you may have all sorts of theories, and you can maybe have a sermon about, you need to this week have faith that you will walk on water, amen. I don't know what your water is and what you're going through, but you need to have faith, Muzalwani, that you will walk on water, amen. But, but, but that is not the, the, what Mark is saying. Mark is presenting to us Jesus in the scriptures. And so, have a look at verse, chapter 8, verse 22. This is the story of yet another healing. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the man, the blind man, by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. 
he saw this is a unique miracle because very often when Jesus touches people, they start to see. Something is weird. Something weird is happening here. Uh, he sees people, so his vision is restored, but he doesn't see properly. Uh, he sees people as though they were trees walking around. Verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter a village. Okay, so we see that miracle. It's quite key, a key turning point in the story of Jesus. Verse 27, we're going to see it in more details. Or rather, Black will see it in more details later on in this year. Verse 27, we get the very first confession of one of the disciples seeing who Jesus is. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples... Who do people say I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, uh, and others, one of the prophets. Verse 29, and he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered him, and this is a revelation from God himself. You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Uh, so what we have there is the first opening of sight when the disciples begin to figure out, oh, shucks, this is who this man is. He's the Christ. He's the one promised uh, by God to come uh, change the world and turn it upside down. So they get it. But just like this blind man, they don't fully see it. It's like trees walking around. The very second part of Mark's gospel is what kind of Christ is Jesus? Okay, so first part, chapter 1 to 8, who is Jesus? He's supreme. This is what you meant to get. Chapters 8 onwards is that this Jesus is a Jesus who dies on the cross. Uh, so he's very unimpressive. Uh, if you wanted somebody to change the world, you would not uh, get somebody who dies on the cross to be your representative. Uh, so that's what we are meant uh, to get. And there's a reason why Mark writes this and writes these stories. Most of the stories don't actually follow a chronological order. But he writes them and puts them together to reveal to us who Jesus is. Now, let, let me give you Bible lesson 101. Yeah? So, very often, when we come to the scriptures, we need to remember that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. You follow that? It was not written to us, it was written for us. The reason why, uh, because we need to understand, okay, so there's three levels to this story. One is that we need to remember the disciples as they were there. They were struggling in their faith, okay? That's the first thing. Then the second thing is the people, or rather the second group of audience, are the people that Mark wrote this thing to, okay? So we need to understand what Mark was saying to them. And then thirdly, it's us here in Madrid. Uh, so Mark is here. He's writing around 70 AD to round it off. That's a long time ago. Martin Morrison was alive uh, at the stage. Uh, and right here we have Midrand, Mid City, the city of adult races and camp chairs. This is 2023. Now, between the time that Mark is writing and Midrand, 
There's about, if you do your math, I hope my math is correct, 1,953 years. It's a bit close to a billion. Um, so this gap between us, the people, rather, the people that Mark is writing to and Medrand is a huge gap. Uh, so we need to understand that Mark didn't write this Bible to us. He wrote what he wrote, this story of Jesus walking on water, to these followers of Jesus. In 70, around 70 AD, one of the things that we need to remember is that around 70 AD, there was something looming behind the scenes. There was something brewing behind the scenes. And this thing was a looming persecution. Uh, so what Christian, what would happen back in the day is that Christians would be hunted down and killed for believing in Jesus. And you can imagine as a follower of Jesus at that stage, thinking to yourself, man, I follow this man called Jesus. Yes, I know he did miraculous things, but this man died on the cross. And at some point you probably be thinking that my reality, the fact that I might be killed for being a Jesus follower is much more real than this, what this guy says. So Mark writes to them to encourage them in their state, to encourage them as they are about to face persecution. So he's not writing to us, he's writing to them. And for them, they needed to understand this Jesus in the midst of persecution, in the midst of a troubled faith, in the midst of doubts, uh, of not just solely understanding um, why it is that you want to follow a dead Messiah. And as we read this story, we need to read it through the lens of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Christ is king. Uh, this Jesus who was crucified, he's king over the world. He's king over diseases, as you read in Mark's gospel. He's king over death. He's king over a disruptive situation. He is king and he's Lord. That is what they were meant to get. And as we read the gospel, that is what we are meant to get as we live in mid-city, uh, the city of dreams. So this is but a Bible lesson 101. Whenever you read any part of scripture, you need to understand first what it meant for them. And as you figure out what it meant for them, you need to understand what is the gospel motivation? What is the gospel thing that God wants them, these guys, to hear? And that gospel message is going to impact you as you're living here. You are not facing persecution. You're not facing people who would destroy you for your faith. Uh, but there are many things that we can pick up uh, from this scripture this evening. Amen. So that's what we, we, we see here. So with that said, we are going to dive into quickly our story. Uh, we're going to dive in what they were meant to get. There's a key clue here as to what they meant to get. So the clue last week was the feeding of the 5,000. Why was that a clue? What, what clue was it? Um, across scripture, who is the one person who miraculously feeds people in a desolate place? I'll leave it to you to figure that out. That's the first clue. Then the second clue as we, so they don't get it. This is the second clue. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Uh, so they're on one side, and they go off to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he, had taken, after he had taken leave of them, he went 
on the mountain to pray. Many commentators here say that he's praying uh, because that, that is, uh, again, a clue to his, uh, his role as the Messiah. And when evening came, the boat was out of the sea, and he was alone on the land. So Jesus is alone on the land. The guys are out at sea. Verse 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully for this is the reality. The reality hits you. You've seen Jesus throughout, but when the winds come, man, oh man, your faith begins to crumble. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that is around three o'clock to six o'clock, he came to them. Can you imagine you're on a boat, it's three o'clock, and then you see a guy walking on water? If you are anything like me, I grew up in a village. <laughs> This is not a good sign. Amen. Uh, this is, you need to run. Um, verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they and cried out. For they, they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. This is a quick story. Probably took hours and hours. And he said to them, take heart, it is I. Now, that is the second clue that we get. They didn't see the bread and the loaves, okay? The second clue there that we have is this, what Jesus declares of himself. He says, take heart, it is I. Now, if you read it um, in the Old Testament, if you read it in its context here, it is simply, I never used the, the, the Greek, but again, what we are missing here is, those words, that, that word, it is I, it is in the Greek, ego eimi. It simply means I am. If you read the Old Testament, you'll witness another story where somebody discloses himself as I am. Now, this is the part where you talk back to me. Who is it that uh, gave people bread in, the de in a desolate place in the Old Testament? God... God has said Moses, uh, we need to refresh our Bible college thing. It is Moses uh, who distributed the thing, but it is God who gave it to them. What the disciples were meant to get as they saw this miracle was that this guy is God. This is God right here. Um, now, if this is God, if he died on the cross, then definitely it means that the death on the cross wasn't so much a sign of defeat because God cannot be uh, defeated. Ego a me, I am. In the Old Testament, in God's story with his people, who is the person who says, I am? Who is the person who discloses himself as I am? God. Uh, God says to Moses, I am. What we are meant to get as we read this story, what they were meant to get was that this man that they're dealing with, this man that is defying the laws of nature, is God himself uh, in the flesh. Uh, he's God who has power over everything, over disease, over death, over demons. Ego eimi, uh, am he. And so we get, as you read this, as a 70th century disciple, you'd be <laughs> wowed. Wow, like it seems as though in chapter 4, they ask, who is this? Another miracle on, on a boat where the disciples are terrified, verse 41, and they were filled with great fear, again the struggling disciples, and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
as you read on, what you are meant to get, what they were meant to get, was that they are dealing with God himself. Now the question is, why don't they get it? Why is it that we often don't get it? Have a look at verse 52 that we read again. This is why they don't get it. This is Mark's diagnosis of their hearts. And this is the same diagnosis that Mark makes about the Pharisees. When they encounter Jesus, uh, Mark says that their hearts were hardened. Have a look at verse 52. For they did not understand about the laws, but their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. This is the first time that Mark says this of followers of Jesus. Before it was the people on the outside, the Pharisees and the religious leaders whose hearts were hardened. Now it is God's disciples themselves whose hearts were hardened. Now why is it they, they, they don't get it? Their hearts were hardened. Why is it that sometimes we don't get it? Why is it that when we are faced with danger, why is it that we are faced with difficulty or real life, why is it that when we are faced with sin, there is often a gap between what we know and what we have experienced of Jesus and what we actually believe and how we live? Uh, Well, very often... It is because of our hardened heart. Very often, perhaps it's the fear of people. Um, Sometimes it is that we are such self-reliant people that it is hard to put your faith in somebody else, isn't it? Uh, That you grew up all your life having to rely on yourself because nobody came to rescue you. That when you hear a story about a Jesus who comes to save, it is quite difficult in the face of difficulty to trust the Jesus. Amen. How many of you watch soccer? How many of you often have this feeling of you watching soccer and you're watching like pro athletes who spend their lives, who get paid pounds and pounds to play soccer? And you think to yourself, ah, Isan, that guy, like he stuffed it up. If I was there, <laughs> this whole thing, I would show them. How is that? Very often when it comes to the disciples, we read the stories and we think to ourselves, Chuck, these guys are such a bunch of losers. If I was there, if I was there, if only I was there, I would have had faith to move mountains. I would have seen who Jesus is because it looks so obvious uh, to us. Now, let me tell you a story about being stuck in a boat. Uh, This story is a story that happened to us last year. Uh, And just the reality of what that feels like to be in the middle of nowhere with danger looming. This is us in uh, Mozambique last year. Uh, So we go on with uh, a group of students. Uh, We take them to Mozambique. Uh, Some of them uh, showed us wonders. We will not mention names. (coughs) You know, in any case, that's not the story, right? We are in Mozambique uh, at this stage, and uh, we're having great time in God's Word with the Mozambican students. They speak Portuguese. Uh, we try to understand each other. Anyway, uh, we have this tradition that after a couple of days, after we spend time in the Word, we go off to, from the lagoon to the beach area. Uh, so we have this guy called Rasta. Rasta is a sailor. Rasta is a, you look at him and you're like, this is a, a guy who, yeah, like, <laughs> he's trustworthy because he lives by the sea, uh, but you can see that he's, he lives in the world of his own. But we trust Rasta. Rasta takes us safely across the lagoon. It is joyful. 
we walk in collecting seashells, uh, thanking God for such an amazing, <laughs> amazing creation. Uh, lo and behold, five o'clock, six o'clock hits. We need to go back to the place where we are staying. And then as we're riding along, Rasta's brother, who seems more responsible, uh, drives a faster boat, so they continue and leave us off, uh, and they go on to the village where we are staying. Um, so we are sitting there with Rasta, and then suddenly we hear a bump. Okay. What is that, Rasta? Uh, we we from Dobek. We don't have any water around there, nor do we know uh, boats, but we trust you. Uh, we know you know what you're doing. Um, lo and behold, we had hit a place where Rasta was not meant to go. It was by a sand area. Uh, so he, being a good sailor that he is, and we trusting him at this stage, he goes off the boat, he drags us back into the water, starts the motor, but sand is going into the motor, but he starts it. Anyway, we go. Two seconds later, boom, another sand bank. Uh, and this time around, we were stuck. This time around, none of us except Rasta has a proper phone that can uh, call in Mozambique. We don't have any Mozambique SIM cards. This time around, most of our cell phones are dying out. This time around, I don't know as a black guy how I'm going to swim over to the other side because we didn't have that in our curriculum. Um, this time around, I don't know how deep this thing is. I don't know how long we're going to be in this thing. Uh, and we are in the middle of nowhere. And our batteries are about to die. Um, in this moment, we start singing hymns to comfort ourselves, but the panic begins to build up, uh, and we start panicking. Uh, we start panicking, and lo and behold, Rasta is also, we can see, that, <laughs> that is moving from confidence to a state of panic. I don't know what he's saying in Portuguese, but it doesn't sound great. It doesn't sound we're gonna, like we're going to move from this situation. Now, as you are stuck in that moment, in that boat, uh, it is, he'd be the last person to say, Flip, if I was there, I would have courage. Because we were there, and none of us had courage, even the sailor himself, because we didn't know how long this thing was going to be. Now, you can imagine the disciples not knowing what's going to be their fate. Many people died at sea in this, uh, this part of the world. And here they are, the wind is blowing and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Uh, they should have known that he's powerful enough uh, to say to the storm, quiet, be still, because he said it in chapter 4, right? That's the blueprint of discipleship. You, you should know these things because God has said it before. But the reality is there are times where you know these things, but you are stuck and you don't know when and how long it's going to be. And that's why time and time again, Jesus reveals himself to himself, to the, his disciples. That is why right here in verse 52, that in as much as Jesus spent time with them, they still don't get it. They don't get it, and we don't, get, we don't often get it. Uh, very often when pressure is there, it is difficult to get it. How then do you get it? How do you get it? How do we get it? Well, this evening, what Mark would remind us and the reason why Mark records these failures of these disciples to us is that you're never going to get it. Amen. 
That even when you fail to get it, God will never fail to reach out and get you. Amen. That we will fail to get it. And when we fail to get it, God will not fail us. God will continue to reach out to us. And that's the thing that we see in the scripture. That God doesn't step out to his disciples because they had enough faith. No, quite the contrary. He steps towards them because of their lack of faith. God doesn't write to us, mark, and tell us story after story because we get it. No, it's because we don't get it. And time and time again, we need to go back and to be reminded of who Jesus is as we face the path of discipleship, as we experience the mess of discipleship. We don't get it, but we serve a God who goes out and reaches out to get us even when we don't get it. Uh, Here's what one commentator says about the failure of the disciples. He says, but the failures of the disciples also serve, as a past- serve a pastoral function of providing hope to his readers. God recorded this story for us to provide hope to those guys who were facing difficulties, who were about to be slaughtered for their faith, um, to remind them of the king, the king who's powerful, but the king who dies on the cross, so that we would know that, like those guys, we don't get it. We don't often get it. Uh, And so he provides hope for us, hope for us not to look into ourselves, but to look at the God uh, who is powerful. Even though the disciples failed time and time again, they were nevertheless Jesus' servants and apostles. Thus, Mark's readers, despite their failures, can also, through repentance and faith, that is the path of discipleship, repentance and faith. Repentance means turning away from my fear, my failure, turning back to the Jesus that you read about, the Jesus who walks on water. And that through the repentance and faith, would continue to be the servants of Jesus. And for the present-day readers, it gives hope that our failures can be forgiven. Somebody say, my failures can be forgiven. My failures can be forgiven. And that despite our weakness, God may still use us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and bring healing and hope to the hurting world. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if in your full, in your reliance of self, which often marks the Midrand life, a life of discipleship in Midrand, is a life of self-reliance, of saying, I'm, if I can't get it, then I'm doomed. That is trusting in yourself, and we do that. But God is calling us this evening that when I don't get it, I know that he reaches out to get me. Amen. I wonder where you need to apply that in your life this week. <laughs> that I may fail to get it, but God still reaches out to get me. Let's pray. Our Lord and our Savior, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are unworthy children, that we often stray from the path you set for us, that sometimes we experience the full goodness of who you are in our lives. We taste the forgiveness of sins in our lives. We see your majesty displayed in the scriptures. There's many times where you've rescued us from difficult situations, difficult habits and sins. Yet, Lord, even in spite of that, we seem to not get it. 
And just like these disciples, very often we fail because our hearts are hardened. They are hardened by fear, fear of men, fear of circumstances, uh, fear of uh, being in an uncomfortable situation, a love for comfort. Those things often mark our lives, O Lord. And we come here this evening to confess that that is our life and it is messy. But we thank you that we are under construction. We thank you that you are working something within us. That as we read story after story of what your son Jesus came to do, I pray that we see him in his glory, in his majesty, but we see him through his humiliation on the cross. And that we would know that the Christian life is a life of difficulty and toil, a life of carrying our cross, a life of repentance, turning away from our self-reliance and relying on you because you and only you uh, can move us from a state of hardness uh, and to a state where our hearts receive your word. Um, so I pray that wherever we find ourselves in our faith this evening, you'd help us, give us faith this week, to live the Christian life. Uh, This week, in our failures, to understand that we serve a God who is victorious over those failures. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.